Welcome again to Language Made Difficult, a centripetal part of the SpecRam podcast. I'm your host, David Peterson. Back again with me in the equipment closet of the John Wilkins Conference Room is one-time Yahtzee player, Trey Jones. Hey, everybody. To his left, the seventh person ever to bowl a perfect game while totally unconscious, Keith Slater. Great to be with you guys. And joining us live via satellite from a bus stop in downtown Amsterdam, Bill Spruill. Hey. And also, back for her second consecutive LDLNL, starting at guard, a professor from Bowling Green University, Sherry Wells Johnson. Howdy there. Glad you could be here. Thanks. Welcome. How are you feeling today? Everything is great. Everything is just beautiful. It's a beautiful, beautiful night. That's really, really cool because this is a completely different day. And I'm glad <laughs> that this day is better than the previous day, which was a completely different day. Isn't that cool? That's really cool. I'm sure there's a prefix for that somewhere. <laughs> if not, there is now. And the prefix is Shay. Thank you for joining us again, Sherry. And here we go with more lies, damn lies, and linguistics. To get us started, Mr. Blamtastic himself, Trey Jones. All right, you guys know the drill. We've got three language-related items. Two are true. Two are true. One is false. Repeat, one is false. One is true. You have to figure out which is which, and after you make your guesses, we will discuss. So our theme this time is interesting prefixes. Hmm, like Shay. All, right. mm, all prefixes are interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so item number one. In Tekitege, spoken in the Congo and in Gabon, there are verbal prefixes to indicate the weather at the time an action occurred, including ones for when raining, under skies and during a drought. Number two, when speaking to a cross-eyed person in Kilut, every word must have a particular prefix. There's another prefix for hunchbacks and another for, quote, funny people. Item number three, Kalama, spoken in Oregon, has verbal prefixes indicating the manner in which an action was performed, including ones for with the mouth, with the elbow, and with the penis. Who'd like to go first? I will elect to go last. You go first, David. (laughs) All right. I want to start this off by saying that on occasion in the past, I have created languages for fun and amusement. For one of these languages, and you really have to follow along here because it's just audio, one of these languages was a purely visual language, just done with Egyptian hieroglyphic-type glyphs. There was no sound component. For these, I indicated tense by putting a dot before a big sun, indicating that it happened in the past, no dot, or a dot after it, indicating that it happened in the future. Since my medium was visual, I could change that sun to, say, a moon, to indicate that it happened at night, a cloud that could say could indicate it happened on a cloudy day, uh, a raining cloud, a, a little windy thing, and basically you could encode weather directly on the tense particle. Obviously, this language was trying to copy me, and I can understand why that would be. I'm, I'm very well thought of in certain circles. So I'm going to say the first one is true. I can see that happening very easily. And since I have some experience with weather encoding, I think I would be able to jump right into that language. Second, the third one is going to be also be true. I've seen manner particles attached to verbs, you know, at times. Uh, the only really surprising one here is the, the penile one. If these are guys that are speaking a language, uh, you know, they go and chat around and they already have all these other particles. I can see them throwing on this other one there for kicks uh, and then, and, you know, it kind of exploding into the wider language. So that leaves the second one, which I don't remember. 
and will not ask you to repeat as the false one. I am going to agree with him about which one's true, but disagree with the reasons. I know that doesn't usually happen on this program, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> My logic is as follows. Number one and three simply say that the language has the prefixes. It doesn't say that you have to use them all the time. Mm. In addition, in a lot of languages, verbal prefixes can be sort of incorporated stems that are usable separately. So there's a, a whole bunch of vocabulary that you could basically work into a verb, thus increasing the chances that you could take any kind of specific expression and fold it into a verb to do things with it. Now, the third one about clama, that last sort of term, I'm hoping that the field worker is not recording this in discussions at restaurants or something, because that would be creepy. But <laughs> but still, I can, I can kind of see it happening. It's the second one that I think is false because it says every word must have a particular prefix. Okay, so far not too bad because we're linguists, right? We can say one of the prefixes is a zero and then great. <laughs> if it doesn't have a prefix, it's got that one. <laughs> this distinction between types of low-frequency individuals sounds suspicious. So that one I'm going to say is false. All right. We will reserve well, the final spot for our guests. So go ahead, Keith. I'm not going to comment on the second and third ones. The first one is just so obviously untrue. You know, weather is a very important phenomenon that people want to pay attention to. But nobody can remember what the weather was like yesterday. Nobody mm. can predict what the weather is going to be like tomorrow. And nobody is even sure. I mean, if you ask people, well, yeah, I guess it's sunny. I mean, yeah, it seems a little bit cloudy. Nobody's really even sure what the weather is like now. So it would be grammatically impossible to require coding of the weather on the verbs. It's just not, you know, people just aren't that sure. So I think that one's got to be false. Okay. Warm out today. <laughs> be warm tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> You're not sure about that. <laughs> I never am. <laughs> so I'd just like to point out, Keith, that it didn't say that these verbal prefixes were required, just that they were available. It's One could imagine them being used in a storytelling register. Hmm. Anyway. It's implied. It's implied. Oh, yes. Look, okay. you're just trying to talk me out of the right answer. Ooh, snap. Could be. All right, uh, Sherry, go ahead. <laughs> oh, I can never run for public office. I know this now because I've changed my mind every time you read those. I thought, oh, that's Oh, no, it's that one. No, it's that one. Oh, so so I have thrown a die over here. <laughs> I won't resort to this random thing. But honestly, I'm a little surprised by the elbow thing. I think I have to say that. I think as the only woman in the room, I have to be surprised by the elbow. But that seems so ridiculous to me. Mm, that's insightful. Um, <laughs> the one about the weather, yeah, maybe for storytelling. Oh, I was just giving Keith crap. <laughs> so I think I'm gonna have to go with number two because that just seems that just seems dumb, and it seems like too much to keep track of. Are you sure? Uh, That's well, the way languages no. are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, but but then again, it could be the whole thing about the weather because you're right; that really is awfully unpredictable. And I don't even know what the weather is outside right now, come to think of it. So how could I ever encode that on a verb, even if I wanted to? It's winter. Hey, look, if you go with three, then you're sure that Trey doesn't win. <laughs> Ooh. 
That option, which appeals to me a lot, because I don't like the elbow. I really don't like the elbow. <laughs> I'm going to go with three, because I don't like the elbow. And because I don't want Trey to win. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, according to the rules, Trey wins when two people get it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Uh. Let's start with number two, uh, the one about having a particular prefix to be used with a cross-eyed person and hunchbacks and for funny people. Uh, that one is true. Oh, my goodness. You have got to be kidding me, Trey Jones. <laughs> I think I led Bill astray a little bit with a, possibly a dangling uh, modifier there. The prefixes are only required when you're talking to the cross-eyed person. They're not required all the time. Oh, now, wait a minute. Is this every word must have a particular prefix? That's what it says, yeah. Uh, this, is, this is ridiculous. Every this is like a taboo thing. Phonological word? Every lexical, every dictionary word? What do you mean? <laughs> Again, this is what my source said. Is this a polysynthetic language? Was your source a six-year-old boy? <laughs> was the source desperate to publish something? Like, tenure's right around the corner, had to get something out. <laughs> my source was not trying to get tenure, but my source's source may have been. I can't, can't discount that possibility. <laughs> Was it your cat? Because you should just fess up if it is. No. Does your source live in the same house with you? No. <laughs> Was Ella say that you're in a really nice town? <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Tell us about the other ones. Oh, gosh. Sherry, I tried. I know. You, you asked for some weight, weight, like hints. I tried. I, didn't say I, I did not say I would take them. I just said I wanted oh, okay. them. Okay. All right. All right. There you go. So number three is, in fact, false. Hey, I mean, wait, they, was I right? That Yes, that means Keith was right. Um, oh there are, in fact, prefixes for doing things with your mouth, with your elbow, and with your penis. I don't know how many prefixes you can use at once. I'm not sure I want to know. And then the one about the weather was one I made up. I, 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 uh, I'll bet these prefixes are not prefixes. I'll bet this is compounding. Oh, sorry, that was real linguistics. Let's move on. <laughs> well, but of course, no, but you're talking about you're talking about the false one anyway. It's not even true, so it doesn't matter if it was No, no, I mean, I mean the clamo one, the one that's, that's supposed to be true. Oh, oh the one on the, the bottom? The manner prefixes. Oh, yeah, oh. the manner prefixes. Yeah, but that I happens. Think there's, I'll bet they're just compounds. Oh, but that happens all the time, though. That, that happens all the time, especially in Amarin languages. You, you see those all the time. I, I wouldn't surprise at all to hear that one. Uh, D- does it count as compound instead of a prefix if there is significant amount of phonological reduction? Normally, when we say it's a prefix, we're just saying it can't stand by itself. And if there's a pronunciation shift in compounding that prevents the unit from being a full unit, that kind of erases the distinction between prefixes and compounding, doesn't it? Yeah, there's not a clear line between them. It's a compound if you're talking to a historical linguist, and that's about. Uh, and it's a prefix if you're talking to anybody else. <laughs> I hear a bunch of. I hear a bunch of post hoc bitter analysis. Uh... Actually, no. I was just getting to the point where there's not a clear distinction because then I happily say they're all the same thing. And they're all the same thing cool. at some yeah. at some abstract level. Right. Right. Well, then I can I can disagree that I was just arguing. I was kibitzing about the prefix terminology, not the whole thing. I just didn't want them to be prefix. Yeah, there we go. That's a good one. Yeah, uh, that, that was my confusion, too. The, the, the interesting part is talking. figuring out which of the suffixes are actually postposed prefixes. Mm. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, please tell me that that was the false thing about the first one, Trey. It wasn't prefixes, they were actually suffixes. Tell me that's what was false. You guys gave me so much grief about shifting things too subtly, I just completely made that up. The only thing that's true is the name of the language and where it's spoken. Everything else about it, I just made up. Did you at least base it on my language? No. Oh. <laughs> Not even a little. You probably never even looked at it, have you? No. Oh. Not even a little. Gosh. Oh. This is too in a row for me, or three in a row, I think. Man, you're just ripping my heart right out. Yeah, well, what are the standings now? Oh, I don't Uh, want to hear (laughs) (laughs) After last week's clean sweep, we now have, let's see, Bill still has seven out of 12. David has six out of 12. Keith has five out of 12. And our guests are now two out of four. Uh Yeah, but can I have a point? Because I did it specifically to be bitter. (laughs) (laughs) Just so you would lose. I I think that ought to be worth something. (laughs) (laughs) Cheers. Morale points. Thank you. Oh, man. But since I keep score, no. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you for joining us once again, Sherry. It was wonderful to have you. Any last uh, insults to hurl at us? I'm not playing again unless I get to win. And that goes for the next. Uh, Can that go for me too, Trey? (laughs) (laughs) No, you're under contract. Oh, brother. All right. Well, thank you so much for stopping by, Sherry. And we're done with that for now. Uh, Next up, we have some language news. But first, a word from our sponsor. Language Made Difficult is not brought to you by the Linguistic Society of America, the Language Creation Society, the Chicago Linguistic Society, nor the International Linguistic Association. Welcome back. Now for some language news. Let's see what we got here. Oh boy, it's goats. Researchers at Queen Mary University found that little baby pygmy goats, oh my goodness, did you see the picture of that goat on the article? Uh, Go look at the article right now because he is absolutely adorable. Anyway, uh, they found that these scruffy little munchkins apparently start to bleat the same as other little goats around them. My goodness, they're cute. Anyway, someone whose last name is actually briefer said that they don't know if the environment can affect the call of all mammals, but since it works on goats as it does humans and dolphins and bats, it may indeed be extended to all mammals. So the question is, should we systematically run this same experiment on every single mammal on the planet? Keith? Goodness, yes, we should. Think of all the publications. Think of all the articles that can be generated. All the tenure. All the tenure that can be generated. All the doctoral dissertations. But anyway, I want to just remind you that this specific experiment Experiment has been done already for humans, namely by Psammeticus, after whom one sister publication of Spetgram was once named. <laughs> and I guess you guys are familiar with the story, right? But all of our listeners may not be, so why don't you tell us? Perhaps they're not. So I'll tell you the story, just for those who weren't paying attention in Linguistics 101. Americus <laughs> wanted to know what the original language was, and he figured the way to do this was, the way to find out was to have a child raised without exposure to human language. And so he had two children raised with a flock of goats. And when he sent someone to check what language did the children grow up speaking naturally, one of the children came running out to the person saying, Becos, becos which turned out to be the Phrygian word for bread. And so Psammeticus correctly deduced that Phrygian was the original language. Mm. 
the original human language and the uh, original goat language, perhaps? Well, he, he didn't make conclusions about goats. But anyway, the point is that he <laughs> thought of checking whether humans would learn goat dialects or not, and they do. The generalization we have here is that goats can teach their dialects to other mammals. Exactly. Mm. So now we actually need to test... Their own kind. Now we not only need to test every single mammal that there is, but every combination of mammals. Oh, see if like a goat bleats can affect bat calls? Exactly. I like it. Oh my goodness. Uh, I, I, can't even, I can't even calculate how, how much tenure that is. <laughs> and hey, wait, wait, wait. Here's an idea. What if we would take some other mammals and see if they could learn human language? I'll bet nobody's done that. Oh, that's a very good point. Just raise a, let's say, like a, a small cat in a home um, with nothing but human, say, English speakers and see if eventually the cat learns English. Yeah. yeah or hey, like a gorilla, you know, as some kind of ape. Oh, right. okay. Guys, I think people may be doing this already because I, I was flipping channels the other night and I didn't spend much time watching it, but the science fiction channel apparently has this program called Goat Hunters <laughs> and they walk around buildings <laughs> yelling in English and so forth. And so I think they already think that goats learn this way. <laughs> oh, boy. Mm. So, listen, about this article, this is uh, personally what I thought. As I see it, pygmy goats are a cross between a kitten and a puppy. I think these things are just <laughs> are just adorable. And by the way, I encourage you to go to YouTube and type in pygmy goat. You will spend a fun afternoon. They're so soft. <laughs> Okay, then. Okay. Uh, I, yeah, I'm sorry. I seem to have uh, sidetracked us a little bit. I know we want to talk about the language issues in this article. So here's something that, that came up. Do you think that somebody, you know, one, could keep and house a pygmy goat in an apartment-style condo, with mostly tile on the floor? Think You think they would be happy there? I don't know. The way you keep describing them, I would just have to make sure I had a lot of insulin. <laughs> that, that, that would be the major requirement, I think. I think the important thing is is not whether or not the goats are happy. I mean, as the as the primary thing, it's whether or not you can teach the goats to express whether or not they're happy oh. in a way that you can understand. Well, then should we all be learning Phrygian? Pygmy Phrygian. Pygmy Phrygian, of course. <laughs> That would be useful, though, when you're wearing a Phrygian cap. I mean, they do have very nice caps. Hmm. Like, like as in cap as you wear on your head? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Impressive ones. I was really only familiar with the musical mode, the Phrygian. Was the cap designed after the musical mode? I'm not sure, but they're jaunty, I guess is the best term. <laughs> <laughs> Kind of makes sense too, because it maybe it's to sort of maintain the attention of the goat or something. <laughs> now, I think we are definitely straying from our stated purpose here, but I think if you could get a jaunty cap on a pygmy goat. Oh my god, please do it. <laughs> <laughs> Two things would happen. You'd get a million hits on YouTube, and David would die from cute over <laughs> Oh, my goodness. But he'd die happy. Oh, yes, I would. Just imagine him wearing a jaunty little cap and speaking Phrygian. Bacos, <laughs> and then you'd give him bread. Oh, my goodness. Uh, it turns out to actually be the Phrygian word for diabetic coma. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, listen, I'm really glad that we're able to kind of focus on hard-hitting uh, linguistic articles like this one. I honestly couldn't be happier. And if any listeners happen to own a pygmy goat, please bring him to Specgram headquarters for some sort of uh, language-related ex experiment. And I promise that we will most likely probably return him. Pick up some tarragon on the way, too, if you don't mind. <laughs> 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 
Oh, that's terrible. Gosh. Uh, poor little goat. By the way, he already has a name. I'm calling him Spunky. Spunky the Pygmy Goat. <laughs> Ah, and he's wearing a little hat in my mind. All right, on to other news. So, uh, folks that are listening, bear with me because this next discussion is going to need a little setting up. In October of 2011, U.S. presidential hopeful Rick Santorum was interviewed by Shane Vanderhart. In this interview, Santorum suggested, somewhat flippantly, that if he was elected president, he would issue an executive order that all colleges employ an equal number of liberal and conservative professors. His claim being that academia is at present overwhelmingly liberal. On February 20th of this year, Mark Lieberman of Language Log posted a transcript of this interview and responded, again somewhat flippantly, that such an act would, if anything, only improve the lot of linguists as determining whether a given academic is truly liberal or truly conservative would rely on a linguistic interpretation of their papers, their syllabi, their blog posts, their tweets, their Facebook updates, etc. Here at Speculative Grammarian, we take everything seriously, and so we now aim to explicate just how one might determine one's political leanings from one's speech and text samples. For preliminary findings, we go to Bill. It's all fairly simple, actually. Conservative speakers tend to prefer their phonemic segments and their syllables to occupy traditional roles. Consonants should be strong, voiceless stops standing defensively at the margins of the syllable and the onset and the coda. Keeping the vowel resonant and confined to the nucleus. Mm. So then a, a conservative then would probably be against a word like pervert, where you kind of have this uh, muddyish consonant. Uh, that coda is kind of resonant. That's a little suspicious. Uh, syllabic nasals, you never know quite what they're up to. Are they really wanting to be a vowel, but they're dressing up as a consonant? Are they consonants dressing up as a vowel? It's just unsettling. Okay, so uh, we can think of really uh, strong conservative words as words like talk, pot. Exactly. Caught. Exactly. Okay, okay, good, good. What are some other thoughts on this issue? Well, you can also look at it from a historical point of view using minimal pairs, which are going to be the measurable thing that you can you can really look for, right, in the, the writings of these would-be professors. Right. Here's a few minimal pairs. Invest and infest. Uh, view and few. Very and fairy. Uh, as Bill has pointed out, these voiceless sounds, these are more traditional, strong kind of the voiceless consonants, uh, the F in this case, are the more traditional traditional, strong, hold the place kind of consonants. And we also know that historically, in language change, F tends to progress into the consonant V, V. F is the conservative form, V is the progressive, the liberal form. So uh, infest is going to be your conservative word, while invest is going to be your liberal word. You actually bring up something pretty interesting. So in, in effect, when we look at minimal pairs like fan and van, uh, a word yes. like fan, we're actually looking into the past. That's how the word was supposed to appear, but liberals have perverted the word fan so that now it's pronounced van and doesn't even mean fan anymore. Is that right? Or improved on it, one way or the other, uh, 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 uh. depending on your perspective. Good point, good point. It's interesting that you bring up this comment about uh, voice sounds versus voiceless sounds, because as I look at it, voiceless sounds are basically perceptually softer, whereas voice sounds are louder and more aggressive, more strident. So I would have guessed that you'd say that voiced sounds were inherently conservative and voiceless sounds were inherently liberal. And I think that this does bear out. 
if you look at words like invest, which has to do with money, versus infest, which has to do with,、uh, you know, for example,、uh, yeah, and Occupy Wall Street. <laughs> Or rats. Yeah, it seems to work. <laughs> the only times becomes a little confusing is if you look at something like view versus few. Of course, we have the few, which are the one percent. You want to label that with conservative. And then the view is a popular talk show, which I think tends liberal. I don't know. I never, I never watched it. So it becomes a little bit tangled. I guess something that we would have to ask potential linguists or linguistic arbiters when they're pulling up these documents and determining is this person a secret conservative or Secret liberal. What would they do in these marginal cases when you could make a case going either way? What you really have to do is you have to look at the data. So while you guys were blabbering on, I ran a couple of terabytes of data that I slurped off the internet, and、um, you can see that some of these features that you're talking about will definitely feed into this. It's a weighting of the evidence, right? Because、okay. you need to look not only at the different features, but also at the fact that someone may be trying to hide their political leanings in order to secure a job.、Mm. Anyway, some of the things that I came up with while you guys were blithering on. So we see. Definitely, some of the differences that have to do with affixes. So, conservatives are more likely to use ness as a suffix as opposed to the, the liberals who use ity.、Mm, yeah, you have that right in there with conservativeness versus liberality. Exactly. All right. Conservatives prefer un, and liberals prefer prefix d, as in the Democratic Party.、Mm, good point. Actually, un is right in the word gun. Right. Right. Yeah.、Uh, I would point out. Post, 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 it's not a prefix、though. there. It's a post-post prefix. No, I think it is. I think、uh, it、yeah. is a prefix. I think underlyingly, it's gun because at least for members of the NRA, and then they just know that it's a political dog whistle, and it's actually gun, but with a, a silent G, silent but strong G. <laughs> You're going to set yourself up for a lot of criticism, though, because you've done two things already that are problematic. You have asserted some cases can be judged either way, and you have used actual empirical evidence. Both of those position you as liberal. Oh, that's actually a good point. Yeah. If we are actually going to have linguists who are arbiters determining whether、uh, academics are liberal or conservative, I think that we must demand that the arbiters themselves. Be fifty percent liberal and fifty percent conservative. But then the arbiters are the arbiters, and then you have an infinite regress there. That's what linguistics is all about. Yeah, lots、uh, of tenure there. About, it's all about yeah, that、uh, recursion. Uh, recursion, uh, right? That's right. Thank you. I actually have a, another concern about this. That I'm afraid that you know Lieberman is optimistic that this creates all sorts of jobs for linguists, but. I'm a little bit concerned because it also opens up linguistics to be judged as to its own internal content, and that by that I mean、uh, which linguistic subfields or specializations are conservative and which are liberal, and we'll need to balance those too. So you know, historical linguistics is a conservative field, and so is X-bar syntax, but. What about optimality theory and minimalism, and how can we achieve a balance between the, the conservative fields and the liberal ones? Oh, that's a really interesting point because actually, with optimality theory, optimality uses the itty suffix, which, which we've established is liberal, and then I, well, it's liberal clearly. Theory actually uses the y suffix, which I think we can all agree is conservative, right? Sure. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so it's kind of a mix of the two there. Gosh. Yeah, it does start with a voiceless too, whereas optimality starts with a vowel.、Mm, yeah. Yeah. And I think in a in a conservative worldview, all words should begin with consonants. Am I right? The hallmark of of conservative pronunciation is leaping into the path of oncoming change and yelling plus stop. <laughs> so it really it really should be a stop consonant. Which it, and and if you think about it, stop consonants always are voiceless to a. Certain extent,、mm. 
I mean, they're true ones, not the ones that have gone off to the big city and picked up nasality or something. You know? mm, point. Or started wearing berets or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of course, uh, we could also uh, open it up to pure semantics. So we have words that are at least notionally identical and synonyms. No, 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 no. Wait a minute. We're talking about politics. You're trying to bring up something with truth value. Those, those don't go. Ah, my apologies. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, that, yeah, don't go there. Okay. But at least for the sake of our listeners, I think that we can all agree that we, uh, among us, even if we haven't necessarily described it in full here, have an absolute 100% foolproof system for determining whether somebody is liberal or conservative based purely on their speech. We have that, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Those listening, trust us, we have this figured out. We have our system. So if you need to figure out where one of your faculty members' sympathies lie, send three unpublished manuscripts, original research only, and preferably groundbreaking, and a check for $50 made out to our undersecretary, Calvin Ash, he usually just abbreviates his first name, to Specgram Headquarters. You can expect a final <laughs> determination from us within 8 to 10 business years. <laughs> Up next, we'll hear from our old friend, Mr. Linguist, but first, a word from our sponsor. Language Made Difficult is, of course, sponsored by FridayNightLinguistics.org. All right, welcome back. We've got another question for Mr. Linguist from one of our many listener. Uh, no, that was not an error. So let's get him on the air. Hello, Mr. Linguist. Much happy to talk. Excellent. We have a question for you, Mr. Linguist. So listen in on the phone and we'll play it for you. Go ahead, Trey. This question comes to us from Kavina Bickelson of New Haven, Connecticut. How many languages are there? Now including Swahili, which I think my dad made up. And your response, Mr. Linguist? Ah, thank you for question, Miss Bickelson. It's good question. Uh, since it's not includes Swahili answer is only one language, but many dialects. You see, language researchers have discovered that all languages share all major properties, and that is inside brain of speaker. So it's no matter you speak Russian or English or French or Walpiri, language in brain is identical. If someone speaks to you in language and you don't understand, it's merely a byproduct of interference. It's no more than sunspot or similar thing. Uh, after all, we all same humans that all have same brains, so all must produce same language. It's logic. Uh, it's funny you bring up Swahili, though, because it is only language on planet that is different from all other language. And your reasoning is absolutely correct. Uh, it's because your dad made it up. He did it to play trick, and so-called language took hold, and now they use it all over Africa. Uh, it's the most successful constructed language of all time, and gave birth to all other constructed languages, and even influenced the natural languages around it in superficial ways. Uh, it's so different that speakers of Lingala, and Chichewa, and Sotho, and Nosa, and others wanted to copy it. It's cool, like Elvis, you see? Uh, thanks for a very good question. Uh, now you are known answer. And thank you. Always a pleasure. That's all the time we have on Language Made Difficult. Join us next time when we go through our receipts in preparation for the yearly Specgram audit. Thanks for listening. I'm watching you, word nerds. So how yep. many of these are supposed to be lies? Because these all look like nonsense to me. Well, now I have to think of something more clever to say than what I said the last time, but I don't know if I'm going to have any luck. There really was a dumb thing about the weather, you know. Now try it again without so much burp. Burp? So whose letter is going to talk to me? Bagbaja Biamila? Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay, now you're properly angry again. Good. Yes, I am. Okay. I have a comment, but I'm not sure how it ties into the article, so I don't know. <laughs>
That has never been a requirement. Oh, crap.